Hello and welcome to The Rating Room. My name is Jay. And I'm Andy. Here on The Rating Room we're going to be talking movies and TV shows. This is our first season. We're going to be focusing on the James Bond franchise. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to our second bonus episode, Bond Girls Are Forever. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the Bond Girls Are Forever documentary that we watched recently. So originally this was released in 2002, but there was a 2012 version that was released which included several extra Bond Girls compared to the original. Bond Girls Are Forever is a James Bond documentary focusing on actresses that have played Bond Girls throughout the Bond franchise. Miriam Dabo, who played the role of Cara Millivoy in The Living Daylights, host the documentary, and she interviews a number of Bond girls. The documentary was also accompanied by a book from 2003 called Bond Girls Are Forever, The Women of James Bond, written by John Cork and Miriam Dabo. So, Jay, what we'll do now is we'll just list through the actors who were interviewed through the course of this documentary. So we had uh, Ursula Andress, who played Honey Rider in Doctor No. We have Honor Blackman, who played Pussy Galore in Goldfinger. We had uh, Luciana Paluzzi, who played... Fiona Volpe in Thunderball. We also have got Jill St. John, who plays Tiffany Case in Diamonds Forever. Jane Seymour, who played Solitaire in Live and Let Die. Then Maud Adams, who played Andrea Anders in The Man with the Golden Gun and also Octopussy. The list continues. We have Lois Childs, who played Holly Goodhead in Moonraker. Carrie Lowell, who played Pam Bouvier in License to Kill. Michelle Yeoh, who played Wai Lin in Tomorrow Never Dies. We've also got Dame Judi Dench, who plays M in seven Bond films, plus also appears in a video in Spectra. So you could say, Andy, she appears in eight Bond films. We've also got Samantha Bond, who played Miss Moneypenny, and Rosamond Pike, who played Miranda Frost. Halle Berry, who played Jinx from Die Another Day, is also included, as is Eva Green, who played Vespa Lind in Casino Royale. And Katerina Marino, who played Solange Dimitrios in Casino Royale. We've also got Gemma Arterton, who plays the lovely Strawberry Fields in Quantum of Solace. Berenice Marler, who plays Severine in Skyfall. And another Miss Moneypenny actress, Naomi Harris, in Skyfall, Spectra and No Time to Die. So quite a comprehensive list, I'd say. Was, was there anyone missing that you would have liked to have seen in this documentary? There was a few, Andy, and... I was I was comparing our ratings for the Bond Girls and thinking, which ones haven't we had that featured in this documentary? And the ones that kind of jumped jumped to me really was Tati, the actress who played Tatiana Romanova, Daniela Bianchi, also Claudine Auger, who played Domino, James Bond's wife, Tracy, Diana Rigg, and Barbara Back, who played Anya in The Spy Who Loved Me. And also Carol Bouquet, who played Melina in For Your Eyes Only. So they're the ones that really jumped out that I would have personally liked to have seen in a documentary. And I think the reasons for those were, I think they're quite important Bond girls in the franchise so far. And I've ranked these ones quite high in my rankings as well. So I would have liked to have seen those ones in 
the documentary. What about you, Andy? Which ones do you feel? Which ones would you like to have seen in the documentary? So I've gone for a different list just so we don't duplicate, but I've gone for Grace Jones, who played Mayday in A View to a Kill, Famke Jansen, who was Xena on a top in Goldeneye, and Denise Richard, who was Dr. Christmas Jones in The World Is Not Enough. And for me, Grace Jones rated very highly on my list. Um, I thought Mayday was a fantastic character. Um, But for for Famke and Denise, it was more around their careers outside of Bond, because they've both done various other films and TV shows, so it's quite it'd be quite interesting to see how the, the Bond the Bond role affected or enhanced their careers. Um which will be a theme we'll talk about a little bit later on. And also honourable mention Nicky Van der Zyl. Uh, so that's a name we've mentioned in various episodes who uh, was was the voice of many Bond girls during the sixties and seventies. So let's let's get some questions that we also ask on our regular pod. So firstly, Jay, how many times did you reach for your phone when you were watching this? None. And the reason why, Andy, for this is the documentary was just over 40 minutes and the format was... It was quite quick in terms of the interviews, wasn't there? There, there was no filler, really. So it was straight in interviewing the different actors and then it moved on. So... I didn't go on my phone because I didn't want to miss any of the interviews, really. And I thought it was quite in, informative and it was interesting. So zero for me. How about you, Andy? Same. And for similar reasons, I thought, you know, the, the length of the documentary made it manageable. And the format was, was quick enough that it felt like it sped along. But also there was a, enough depth to keep you interested. So, uh, yeah, I was I was fully into this. We're, we're obviously not necessarily rating a whole list of documentaries and we're not rating this against Bond films but just as a standalone rating what would you give this out of 10? I gave this one a solid 6 I did I thought well I'm going to talk about it a bit more later on but for me I would have liked to see a bit more to get um, for it to warrant a higher score from, from mine and to be fair 6 out of 10 is probably on average in terms of my scoring at the moment in our main podcast season. What about you, Andy? I was uh, slightly more generous. I went with 7 out of 10. Really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, the length was about right. It was somewhat in-depth. I think it maybe could have stretched out to an hour, maybe just gone a little bit deeper. And, you know, maybe as well as the interview side of things, more into the, uh, the history and the research around how the roles came together or, or you know, viewpoints about Bond girls from people other than Bond girls. I guess might have just added an extra layer to it. But for the purpose of what the documentary was and how it flowed, I thought it was really, really enjoyable. So 7 out of 10, I think, is a, is a good effort. I personally, the question that I would have asked was, I would have asked this to each of the act- actors. If you, t- if you couldn't play the Bond girl that you obviously played, which other Bond girl would have you chosen to play? And I thought that'd been quite interesting to see whether there was a common theme in terms of actors wanting to play a particular Bond girl, or did actors stay in the in the own decade? You know, it would have been I would have liked to see that. So, you know, you could have asked, I don't know, say Diana Rigg. If he wasn't playing Tracy, which other Bond girl 
would have you liked to have played? I thought that would have been quite an interesting question. I would go a slightly different way and say, if you could play opposite any James Bond, which would you play? So, for example, Ursula Andress was obviously with Sean Connery in the very first Bond film, but would she have preferred a Timothy Dalton or a Daniel Craig? So, you know, I guess you can play a little bit fantasy booker, but uh, that might have been an interesting viewpoint to see whether they they were a, they were with the right Bond. So, Jay, that's what we think of the documentary. Uh, what did your wife think of the documentary? So, she did enjoy it. She thought it was interesting to see that the actors had the same view that she has. And also, you know, in terms of the wife comments that she's been feeding in for each of the podcast episodes, were quite consistent in terms of what some of the actors were saying in, in this documentary. So... She's, you know, the missus has also picked up how the Bond girl has kind of developed. And, the, you know, one of the actresses, well, one of the actors mentioned this in the actual documentary saying that it's gone from a damsel in distress to someone who's more equal to Bond. So I thought that was quite interesting that she, my wife has picked that up. And this is, you know, what's being discussed in the documentary. And also she said it was quite interesting to hear that some actors had regretted taking the role and others had embraced it and the opportunities it had given them so we're going to talk about the the bongel curse later on but it was it was interesting because i i didn't know whether she was going to watch this documentary because she's obviously watching the films um with me and you know if you're listening to our main podcast you can obviously pick up that some of the films you know she's not enjoying she's falling asleep on the phone but then some some of the films she's really enjoying and as I've mentioned countless times before she's looking forward to the Pierce Brosnan films and the Daniel Craig films so I wasn't too sure if she was going to watch this Andy I, I thought this might be maybe too much homework for her but no she she enjoyed it so and she's glad to watch it so yeah that was a that was a feedback anything from your end uh, so my my wife didn't partake in this which is consistent with the the main pod as well but some interesting points your wife raises there and uh, we'll we'll get into some of those as we go along should we should we just jump straight in so as mentioned there's a there's a whole list of bond girls that were interviewed throughout the the course of this documentary in in large part it was in chronological order but the first bond girl we saw was Halle Berry uh, she was thrilled to get the job um she was talking about how how it came about, and she said it was one of those jobs that I just got offered. So it's kind of like it fell into a lap, which is quite quite interesting how, how that came about. Obviously, she's a big film star in her own right, so getting knocked on the door doesn't surprise me that much. And a couple of the comments that I thought were quite interesting, she said that Bond girls are the fantasies of both men and women, and that the Bond films are a two-hour journey out of our real lives. So she speaks very highly of, of the Bond films and the Bond girl role. It's interesting, Andy, because, yeah, Halle Berry, she's obviously a big movie star, and she was obviously massive then. I don't know, would you say she was at peak of her powers at that point when she did Bond? She doesn't seem to be as many films now, but it's interesting. Because as a Bond producer... When you look at the Bond girls, and in terms of the ones we've seen already, in terms of what you know where we are, in terms of rewatching them, but also the future films, 
there's only a few Bond girls that are, are kind of known before they've taken the, the Bond girl world, aren't they? So it's interesting that they went for a big name then. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, and I'm trying to think of that sort of time period. And the films that come to mind are ones like Swordfish and Catwoman, which I think were there or thereabouts, and obviously many, many others she's been in. So you're right, she's not an unknown, and the Bond role kind of gate leapt, you know, made her leap into A-list status. Um, so it's a bit of a different different take on on the approach. Uh, but it was it was good to hear her, her positive thoughts about it. We then moved on to Ursula Andress. She described being a Bond girl as being a new kind of woman. Uh, Bond girls are strong and determined. And what was interesting as well, she said she had no idea who Sean Connery was before the film, but that he was adorable to work with. Yes, some very kind words from Ursula. So it moved on then to Honor Blackman, who obviously played Pussy Galore. And I didn't realise this, Andy, and I don't think we we covered it in the episode of Goldfinger. But she said that in the in this novel that Pussy Galore was a lesbian in the novel and that she ends up falling in love with Bond and this changes her. And she also said it's much more fun to play a bitch, which I think we we have discussed before saying I'm sure I've discussed it before. I, you know, if I was in a Bond film, I'd rather play a, a villain than a goodie. So you you do hear actors say that, don't you? Sometimes they never rather play a baddie. They can do a bit more with um, portraying a villain. I suppose you get a little bit more creative freedom, don't you, with with the bad guy role or the bad girl role, in that you don't have to stick to the rules. You can you can do whatever you please. So that must be quite liberating. Yeah, and then we had Luciana Peluzzi, who stated her role was well-received in Thunderball, but it was a curse as Italian directors wouldn't cast her. And I thought this was really interesting because this is the... In terms of the documentary, this is the first time that we've we kind of heard about this curse. And we're going to talk about the curse later on, the Bon Gale curse. So she says she was actually screen-tested for the leading lady but got the, the villainous role instead. She also stated that around 50 photographers were on set when the bedroom scene with Sean, with her and Sean Connery was filmed. They kept interrupting, so were ejected from the set. But I did think it was interesting where she said, you know, people liked her back in Italy. She got work, but the Italian directors just wouldn't cast her. So she obviously, you know, she got, she got some jobs. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a breakthrough role that uh, uh, you know some people would have assumed would have happened. Yeah, that's quite interesting that um, Italian directors wouldn't cast. I wonder if there was something culturally that in Italy they didn't find it appropriate or attractive. It'd have been it'd have been good to kind of dig into that a little bit more because that's an interesting little plot point for the documentary, for lack of a better term. But one person who didn't believe in the Bond Girl curse was Jill St. John. Uh, she she said that Bond Girl actors should take charge of their life. Uh, and a quote she, she thought was quite interesting was, no one wants to give up the mantle of being a Bond Girl, and if they say they do, they're lying. So she was very much pro-Bond and pro-Bond Girl. 
And uh, an interesting factoid about the Diamonds Are Forever chase sequence in Vegas, she was actually in the car for for those scenes, which um, I would have thought they would have just used the stunt double for, for scenes like that, because I'm, I'm thinking of the chase scene now, where kind of the car was up on its side going down an alleyway, and then obviously looping around all the casinos as well. So that must have been uh, quite the adventure that she was on. Yeah, it, luckily she didn't get injured doing that. Absolutely. And uh, another little tidbit was that a lot of the Bond girls during the Roger Moore era needed saving by Bond. And that's uh, that's a theme we've talked about many times on the main pod as well. So now we've got a, a, you know, a few interviews with Bond girls in the Roger Moore era. So we've got Jane Seymour, who obviously played Solitaire, and she agreed that it was a bit of a dirty trick, really, where Bond had switched the, the deck of lovers so it wasn't a nice thing to do. And Maud Adams, who obviously played Octopussy and Andrea, Andrea Anders as well, stated that Bond forced himself on Octopussy, and that's not really acceptable in today's films. And that is something, you know, we've discussed in our main podcast season, and it's something I recall the wife commenting on as well in terms of both those points. Yeah. I completely agree, and um, she's right when she says that they're not really acceptable in today's films, because they're clearly not, so times have moved on since then. We also had Lois Childs, who played Holly Goodhead. Uh, She said she had misgivings about accepting the role due to the character name, and particularly telling her parents what the character name was going to be, which is understandable, as as far as names go, that's pretty, uh, pretty obvious what is meant by that. Uh, and another point she said was around the zero gravity sex scene at the end of Moonraker. She said it was really uncomfortable to film because of all the wires involved, which I guess is understandable in a scene like that. And she also hated the line that she had to give, which was, take me around the world one more time. She thought that was a, a little bit crass. And uh, again, it, I, I think it's it's harmless and it fits in with the the Bond theme of you know, cheesy one-liners and innuendos, but maybe it was a little bit too on the nose for her. It's interesting things like that, isn't it, Andy, when you think, because obviously we're, we're not in the acting game, so there must be lots of instances where actors have to film scenes, say dialogue that they obviously wouldn't say in real life, but they might be uncomfortable with. So it was interesting to hear her say that. Yeah, she, and the mention of her parents may be the reason why. I guess they don't they don't want to see their little girl in that kind of situation. But I, I guess it's part and parcel of the acting game. But we we move on from the Moore era to the Dalton era, and Carrie Lowell, who played Pam Bouvier, was next, and she was discussing the scene with Dalton, and Dalton was was kind of directing her on how they should kiss on screen. And um, another thing she said was. She felt her character was tough and in charge. And I beg to differ because I thought she was a little bit whiny and a little bit jealous and, you know, didn't so much need saving. I wouldn't go as far as to say she was damsel in distress, but she was very much needy of Bond and his attention. So tough and in charge, I don't think is an accurate statement, certainly in my opinion. I agree, and you've obviously mentioned when in the main podcast episode for 
license to kill that she came across very jealous and it was numerous times throughout the film it wasn't just one or two scenes you know she, she came out a few times but I do agree that she was you know she was tough I'm thinking of the you know the bar fight scene she was tough in that and she she was important in terms of the mission you know with Bond going rogue so she helped Bond out there but yeah I you know I totally agree in terms of she 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 wasn't a damsel in distress, but I don't think she was necessarily in charge per se. But someone who was in charge was Michelle Yeoh, who played Wei Lin in Tomorrow Never Dies, and she said that women of the nineties were a lot more aggressive, and she used to do her own fights and stunts on her earlier movies. So I think that for me that was a big change in terms of the Bond girls, especially having. An actress like her who can actually do her own stunts and action scenes and that must help with a lot of the the filming in terms of not relying on stunt doubles as well so she is definitely a, a tough cookie and Dame Judy Dench was dumbstruck to get the role of M she says Golden Eye was wonderfully written and set the relationship of off between Bond and M very well and, you know, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, she was in seven, eight Bond films. So she she had a good little run in the Bond franchise, Andy, as well. She played a very good version of M. I, I agree. We I'm sure we will talk in more detail on the main pod about Dench's portrayal. But I thought she, her role was fantastic. And the point she made around the relationship between Bond and M... I'm thinking of, of a scene, and I, I think they played some of the scene during this documentary from Goldeneye, where I think she said something along the lines of, you're a relic of the past, a misogynist, and various other things that really put Bond in his place. So that added a a new dynamic. But you'll hear more about that on the Goldeneye episode as we go in-depth. Definitely. And... Talking about the the Pierce Brosnan films, we've got Samantha Bond who plays Miss Moneypenny in the Brosnan films. And she believes that her portrayal of Miss Moneypenny was more on an equal footing compared to earlier versions of Miss Moneypenny. And, you know, let, let's, you know, be completely open, Andy. We're filming this after we've just watched Licence to Kill. So in terms of Samantha Bond. We haven't watched those films, have we? We haven't rewatched those films yet in terms of the podcast. But from memory, she definitely they were definitely less flirting compared to previous Miss Money Pennies. But we can talk about that in the you know in the, our main podcast episode. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that's my recollection. I guess we'll find out soon enough whether that is accurate or not. Uh, another Bond girl from the Brosnan era was Miranda Frost, who was played by Rosamund Pike. And she said that the first Bond film that she watched was Goldeneye, which is quite interesting because she said that Pierce Brosnan was her Bond. So she grew up, grew up for lack of a better term, I mean, it was only seven years prior, but you know, her, her first memories of Bond were Brosnan, and then she's starring alongside, alongside him, which is uh, quite a, an interesting dynamic there and we'll talk a little bit about this in a minute but she said that bond girl sounds sexier than bond woman and 
kind of just going back through the episode, this sorry, going back through the documentary, there was quite a few differing opinions from the various actors as to whether the correct phrasing is Bond girl or Bond woman. And uh, I wonder, do you have any thoughts on which you prefer or why this is even a debate? Because surely it's just Bond girl, isn't it? I prefer Bond girl, but I can see why it would make it seem you're talking about someone young, as in a young girl, but Bond woman doesn't really kind of flow, does it? It doesn't really flow off the tongue when you're saying Bond woman. So Bond girl, for me, is definitely sexier. It's one I prefer, but that maybe that's I've been conditioned to it, Andy, you know, because, you know, growing up, it's always been known as Bond girl for me. So I don't know if you, what, what, what's your preference? My preference is Bond girl. It just sounds right. Bond woman, is that more empowering to women? Could be an argument there to say that it is. And is, is Bond girl somewhat misogynist? Again, I don't. I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's a connotation with some of the aspects of Bond that are considered sexist and misogynist. So therefore, there's that parallel. But I'm I'm not sure really. I think Bond girl is the way to go. That's the the, the term that everyone is used to. And I, I think the, the the kind of the reputation that Bond has shouldn't negate the need for a. a a differing phrasing. I think it's, it's going a little bit too far, in in my humble opinion. But if anyone out there agrees or disagrees, feel free to, to let us know what you, what you feel on social. And to be fair, Andy, I dropped the ball here because I should have asked the missus what she felt, but she she hasn't seen the podcast notes and she's not around at the moment. She's in Northumberland, so I can't ask her. But... Yeah, because obviously we're just two middle-aged men <laughs> talking about this and it would have been nice if I got my wife. Maybe I can ask her and then we can drop it in and it would be seamless. <laughs> yes. It's interesting that your wife says Bond girl. It's interesting that your wife says Bond woman. <laughs> let's let's carry on. I'm going to leave that in. If I'm editing this episode, I'm leaving that in because that's, that's comedy gold right there. Um we move on to the Craig era next with the kind of the bonus part of the documentary or the the, the reimagined part. So there was obviously mentioned the 2002 version. So then in the 2012 version, Gemma Arterton was one of the actors interviewed. Uh, her character was killed in a very similar way to Jill Masterson in Goldfinger. Only this time, instead of gold, it was oil which was, I thought, quite a nice nod to the the Goldfinger death scene. And again, one we'll talk about in more detail on the main pod. Andy, is Strawberry Fields a Beatles song? I believe it is, yes. I wonder if that's what she's named from. That's, you know, where they, they were inspired. Could well be, yeah. They could have, they could have gone with uh, with Jude or Penny Lane. Or, okay, I don't know that many Beatles songs. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the Beatles, so no. Uh, it's just, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm named after one, of course. <laughs> Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, Andy, in terms of the oil replacing the gold, but they, 
you know, in terms of Daniel Craig films, they do um, they do bring back certain aspects, or I can't think of the word. You know, pick up certain things from earlier Bond films, or incorporate those bits into the the newer Bonds. The last, you know, the last Bond girl that we have is Naomi Harris, and she obviously plays Miss Money Penny, and she was really nervous about taking a role and. She mentioned a few times where she said she's representing the BAME community and it was really important to her to be, you know, in terms of that representation in the Bond films. We've obviously had BAME actors in the Bond franchise before when we've covered those Bond girls when we've had them in the, the main podcast season. But this is obviously the first time we've got one of the main people in mi6 that is from a bame community so she was you know like i said really nervous about that representing that community and i thought it was interesting as well andy that a number of actors mentioned this but they still get a lot of fan mail and i can't remember which actor said this and i don't know if you recall one of them said what other film role you know they could have taken that would have got that amount of fan mail or in in words to that effect where basically she was saying she still gets loads of fan mail now and she you know she might get fan mail from the other roles that she played but in terms of the film that she gets most fan mail about it was all to do with the bond well do you recall which person said that i don't um Pussy Galore said some bits, didn't she? She did. I don't think that. I don't think that was this. This quote. It may have was been. Was it Jill St. John? It may have been Jill St. John. Yeah. But yeah. But no. Um, it's interesting, Andy, because I don't know if you've ever done fan mail. I've never have. But I just wonder, like, you know, in terms of fan mail, is it just basically people? You know, you're just saying, Andy. Actually, I've got a question. If Based on the films that we've got to so far, so we've just done License to Kill in terms of the main recording. If you were writing a fan mail, which bongo would have you sent it to? Two, uh, it's a choice of two. It would either be Honey Rider or Pussy Galore, i.e. Ursula Andress or Honor Blackman. And that doesn't necessarily reflect the ratings that we've given those two actresses or those two roles. But they are arguably the the two most iconic, famous Bond girls, of all, even you know, even up to modern day. Not just the ones we've seen, maybe of all. Um, those two probably in a in a league of their own in that regard. And I'm not going to mention the Bond girl rankings because we don't want to tell. We don't want to do any spoilers, do we? For people listening on this episode, we don't want to kind of cover where they. They came in. No, check out the main pod website, social. You get all the details about the ratings there. But this we thought was a nice accompaniment to what we've talked about so far. So that's kind of the documentary finished. But let's let's just have a little bit of a deep dive into something that was stated throughout by a number of actors, and that was around this idea of the Bond girl curse. So we looked into that a little bit more for this episode. So Lynn Holly Johnson was quoted in 1999 as saying, My agent told me 
If you take that role, you'll never work again. But what movie could you do that they'd still be interviewing you for 20 years later? I think that's a, a valid point, and it kind of links back to the fan mail thing, really, doesn't it, Andy? In terms of, you know, she's betrayed a Bond girl in one film, and she's being interviewed about it 20 years later. It says something about it. She she might have not, you know, we've obviously talked about um, Lynn Holly Johnson in our past, you know, before I, for Your Eyes Only podcast episode, and I think it's a very valid point. And another point, Andy, in terms of a lot of the actors that have played a Bond girl are relatively unknown, and I kind of touched on this earlier in the bonus episode. So there's only a small number of Bond girls that have actually been portrayed by people that are well-known, or successful actors therefore do you think that the the bond girl curse is really a case that these actors were not known anyway and regardless of being in a bond film they might have not made it anyway they didn't open the doors that they were hoping that's, that's an interesting somewhat hypothetical question but yeah i guess when you're when you're casting a role or you're you know, you want someone to, to take on a certain job. Experience is important. And if the only experience they've got is one film that just happens to be a Bond film, or a handful of films, one of which that happens to be a Bond film, is it just going to naturally work against you anyway? It's kind of that Catch-22 situation that you need experience to get a job, but you need a job to get experience, which applies to many aspects of life, not just Hollywood. But that could be a factor here. And director John Glenn also said, being a Bond girl is a very difficult task and I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Tanya Roberts, who played Stacey Sutton, said she was never offered a leading film role following her Bond appearance in A View to a Kill. And even after 30 years, she feels like she's been pigeonholed. And another factor may be the country of birth. A lot of the actors that have played Bond girls are not English or American. And when we think of... Big Hollywood films, arguably English and American girls, are more heavily featured. So maybe country of birth could have been a barrier. Yeah, and especially in the early days, there were a lot of European actresses in there. And as you mentioned, Andy, obviously at the top of the podcast, a number of these were dubbed. So, you know, you're not getting their genuine voice coming through in a Bond, in the Bond film. Also, in terms of you know the curse, we got Die Another Day and Casino Royale both suffered delays due to difficulties casting actors as a Bond girl due to this perceived curse. Eva Green, who obviously plays Vespa, stated that her own agent convinced her to take the role. So you know, Vespa. It would be an interesting Andy to see a because Eva Green is a very good Vespa, very good Bond girl. And if her agent didn't convince her to take that role, I wonder what impact that would have had on Casino Royale. I wonder who else could have taken the role. And I'm sure there are plenty of names that could, but none spring to mind right now. But then on the flip side, there have been actors that have had very successful careers following the Bond Girl role. And, you know, we've mentioned Halle Berry, Fanka Jansen, Michelle Yeoh, Rosamund Pike and Jane Seymour are just a few that have had or continue to have successful careers. So, you know, it is a... uh, In terms of the 
it's a smaller cohort of actors that have had successful careers after Bond than the ones that haven't had a successful career. Yeah, and as well as the success in, in films, there's success away from films. For example, Jill St. John uh, was a correspondent for Good Morning America as well as writing cookbooks. So, you know, there is success in other means, you know, whether it's TV, stage, or in, in this case, you know, cookbooks and correspondence work. And uh, one more kind of quote from an interview by uh, by Jane Seymour. She said, right after I was a Bond girl, I went back to what I loved, theatre. I did all the classics, got some very good reviews, but the press made out like I was a failure because I was earning no money. I chose to do it because I did not want to run three paces behind the man with the gun anymore. It kind of sums up the perceived curse quite nicely, but also, you know, if we were to deep dive into that quote and and rip it apart, it's very much telling in terms of where maybe the media, maybe others, perceive the Bond girl in relation to Bond himself. And that, you know, there's always that that step, the three paces behind is, is quite an interesting line. In that they are, you know, not afterthoughts, but it certainly feels like they are secondary players, which uh, is maybe unfair. And it's interesting, Andy, you mentioned about the media because, as part of doing the research, there was a a quote or an article that I read, which I haven't brought it through to the notes actually, where one of the actors basically said this this Bongal curse isn't really real. It's something that the media really make up and bring out every time a Bond film is being made. So obviously, you know, we're recording this episode. We've had 25 Bond films. When they make Bond 26, are we going to hear about the Bongal curse again? Time will tell. Let's let's wrap things up with some final thoughts. Jay, over to you. Yeah, so I, like I said, I thought it was a really interesting documentary. I thought it was nice that they had a Bond girl interviewing other Bond girls. I did like that. But for me, it, was, it wasn't it was very comprehensive and it did feel a bit like a whistle-stop tour. And I said at the beginning, you know, in terms of not looking at my phone, it was straight in and out, you know, interview. And to be fair, they did cut back to certain actors throughout the documentary. It wasn't linear in terms of, Halle Berry kicked us us off and they didn't go back to Halle Berry. They did, you know, it was depending on how it flowed. They didn't bring back certain interviews back. But all, and also the interviews did look very relaxed and very conversational. There wasn't, there wasn't really challenged and it wasn't like a, well, I suppose you're not going to get an interview like where you're interviewing a politician, are you? And I think that came out from, you had, a Bond girl doing interviews. So she had her own experiences as well, you know, in terms of Mary Ann. So I thought that was interesting. And I think it did help relax everyone. But like I said, nothing really was in depth. And I would have personally liked to see a longer documentary. And you said that at the beginning, Andy, an hour. And I think, yeah, an extra 15 minutes would have been nice. But also, I'd have liked more questions, like, you know, the one I mentioned earlier and some other bits, really, like you said about... Um, or even, like, kind of saying, like, what was it like to, you know, film your scenes with Roger Moore? What was it like, you know, filming your scenes with Sean Connery? Um, it would have been nice there. Or even, like, you know, what was it like working under a certain director and how 
how did your life how was your life you know before filming bond what was it like during bond in terms of doing all the promotional work and everything and then after bond you know apart from those ones that have been successful was it then you know everything was just quiet how did that impact on them how did they get through that you know in terms of the people that had that high point and then never really kind of got back to that level it'd be nice to kind of hear those kind of questions as well so that was my thoughts on the documentary so like i said at the beginning six out of ten you know a solid six interesting a little bit too short for me to summarize but and a few more questions maybe it would have been better to have fewer actors and more in-depth interviews or just have it longer and then keep the same volume of actors in there just more questions what about you Andy what were your final thoughts yeah I echo a lot of what you've just said there I would say you know short but sweet would be my summary some very interesting anecdotes I thought and it was it was an easy watch it was enjoyable but but like you I wouldn't have minded a longer version with with a bit more depth to it but I I thought it was a very enjoyable easy watch so hence the seven out of ten and a little footnote is that the very ending of the documentary featured Faith Rivera singing a version of Nobody Does It Better over the closing credits. I didn't like this. I, d- I didn't either. It didn't sound right. And, you know, I'm going off on a tangent here, but in, in my real life, one of my pet hates are bad cover songs. Um, and I particularly, you know, going off on a real tangent, particularly hate it at Christmas when certain brands put their Christmas adverts out on TV and they take a happy song and make it miserable with a terrible cover song. So so I'm, I'm very particular about songs and who covers them, and this was not a good example of one. I don't know why they had to... I, mean, I don't know this singer at all, so I don't know what other songs have done. They might be really good. But I don't know why they had to have someone sing, like cover that song for the closing credits. They could have easily just played a, a Bond song so they could have easily just had a you know a Bond song for any of the films overlaid the the opening um the closing credits. So I don't know why they had to have someone sing kind of like live this version. And I kind of get the song choice. Nobody does it. The, nobody does it better. You know, Bond girls is saying you know, Bond girls are famous. You know, the iconic. So I can kind of get the the song choice. But yeah, it was a bit of a weird ending, and I I didn't like that cover version at all Andy so I totally agree with what you said is there anything else that we want to discuss before we um, sign off I I think that probably does it for this episode obviously check out our main pods for more in depth analysis of each of the films and the Bond girls within them but uh, I think that was a nice it was a whistle stop tour of our own I guess of the of the whistle stop tour documentary but a nice a nice accompaniment to our our viewing of the Bond films. So this was a nice nice adjacent. Well, that's this week's episode done. We hope you enjoyed it. Special thanks to the band Sugar Tongue for the theme tune to The Rating Room. You can find them on all the usual social media channels. And be sure to check out their song The System, available now on Spotify. You can find and message us on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok and Instagram by searching The Rating Room. You'll find all our social media links on our website, theratingroom.com. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. Or feel free to drop us an email at theratingroom at gmail.com. Goodbye, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Right here on The Rating Room. (laughs) 